0: This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. And thank you to our special sponsors, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you?
1: Yeah, well, I think people don't know Iris, they were ahead of the game for MTD Phase 1 because they were the first software there to be listed as approved by the C T D filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to, to see this?
0: It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That's from Making Tax Digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin?
1: That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, at Irish Iris, know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash webinar.
0: Welcome to our special guest interview for today. And I'm thrilled to have with you today the CEO of Alineal Global. It's Mark Cozier. Mark, for people that haven't come across you, just give us a little bit about your background and your areas of passion.
2: Thanks, Rob. And yeah, I'm uh, president and CEO of Alineal Global, second largest firm association in the world for accounting firms. Uh, I started there in August of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, having left the AICPA, the American Institute of CPAs, after a 14-year career there as a senior executive. And I really came to alineal a lot because I really liked the firms that were part of Alineal. And it also helped me with my passions, as you say, is to really help firms grow. I kid with our member firms that I wanna double their dues in five years. And the only way I could do that is if they double their revenues. So let's go, let's get started. And you know we look at things like client accounting. I'm hugely passionate about that. It is just such a high growth area. And we're doing a lot around our member firms to make it happen. And it's really around new service lines. So, you know, ESG is being talked about a lot. We have a handful of our firms that have have hired ESG-related experts. So how do we get that to the general good, to the rest of the community inside of lineal Global? We're seeing commerce increase every day. And it's just absolutely fantastic to see all the opportunities that are out there for our member firm.
0: For our accounting practitioners listening that may not be so familiar with the space that is alliances, networks, associations, just give us a little flavor of that ecosystem, Mark.
2: There's about 45 associations and networks out there, give or take. And, you know, a couple of those may be just kind of super regional in a particular market, like there may be a European only or a Asia Pacific only, Uh, but uh, there are at least 40 global associations and networks. And so how do you choose, right? Uh, It really is about the connectivity, understanding what your client needs. Anytime I meet with a uh, potential member firm, I tell them the ultimate benefit to be a member is to help your clients Uh, because your clients have international needs, they have national needs, whatever that may be. So, you know, everyone understands the big four. Well, the big four, each of those firms is a network. They are not one big corporate headquarters somewhere in New York or London telling everyone else what to do. Every one of those offices are different. They are under the same brand. So networks are commonly branded associations are associations of independent firms that can still keep their name but be under this more common global brand when they need it uh to be able to say that they are affiliated elsewhere and that's what we are as part of a lineal so that yeah there are a lot of choices out there of course we're the best but you know beyond that uh and and how we interact with each other becomes really important and making sure that our members are staying connected and being able to do what they need to do when a member asks. You know, the differentiator for me on an association was the fact that we have so many partners in our firms that have come from some other type of a network environment. And they say, you know, when we were in that largest firm network environment and we would call and we're sitting in Luxembourg and we call the New York office, we'd never hear back from them. And we didn't have a choice but to go to that. Now in the association, not only is that when we reach out to another firm, not only are they fighting to uphold the lineal brand, but they're also fighting to uphold their own brand. And because of that, they work twice as hard anytime that we call another one of those member firms to be able to serve our client. And that is, to me, what I think is a big difference.
0: bring up so many interesting points there, Mark. And the association, I guess, would argue that this common branding, there's a more seamless conversation between the member firms when they pass a client over. But you're saying because you're not associating in that way, there is a need to work harder to make it work and and that happens.
2: Yeah. And not that it's harder work, but the firm works harder to satisfy the client. And so the networks are fine for people who want it. i don't want to I don't want say that it's not the right. And when you want that common brand and you want to be a part of something that that is that common brand globally, that absolutely works. But we have a number of firms, two hundred forty of them. Who have said that they they want to keep their own independent brand. They have built their own brand in their particular market. They're not interested in losing that brand identity as they go forward. And so, you know, there are choices, uh, choices for a lot of firms to make to be able to say, you know what, we've gone as far as we can go with this brand. I want to be part of a bigger brand. And then maybe they go after that to, to, to join one of those, or it really is about trying to keep that brand and growing up.
0: And we have alliances in the mix too. Are they a hybrid or are they something different, Mark?
2: Yeah, they're a little different. You know, Some of the alliances that, that I'm familiar with are in the US where uh, some of the largest of firms uh, have created their own alliances that people can have access to that as a way for them to, to get teamed up with smaller firms at times. Maybe it's in a geographic location where they don't have an office. It's a question of whether or not they're providing a different level of resources. Some think that by having that alliance, they're getting access to some type of a national expert. But I would put any one of our national experts up against any one of those national experts in the same way. you know. And that's where I think joining an association or a network, I talk a lot about the fact that at Alineo, we have created a diversity of size, diversity of thought, diversity of talent because we have firms from you know in the smallest of markets maybe they're only 500,000 in Africa in some of the Latin America countries up to a half a billion dollars right and so you know you have assets in in the in the UK nordics you have Eisner uh, here in the U.S. and, and in uh, And then we have firms all sizes in between and all different sophistications. So that actually, that diversity gives us the ability to service clients.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And in these pandemic times that we're in, obviously, the world has opened up. We're all virtual now, so it doesn't matter where you're based. Are you seeing an increased demand some kind of affiliation membership of associations and networks because people want international business?
2: Yes and no. Um, you know, it. I don't know that it's changed any. I think the real drive of that really came out of the early 90s. And then as you rolled into the later 90s, early 2000s, we really started to become global. So as I practiced in the early 90s, you know, the firms I was with, they were in associations. None of us knew what that meant, Uh, Occasionally, if we had a really hard question that someone didn't have the answer to, we would put it up into this kind of listserv thing, and we'd get 10 other firms say, yeah, me too. I have the same problem and no real answers. Today, it's become more sophisticated and it really is about the commerce it's satisfying the client. It is the fact that I have this client sitting here in North Carolina, where I'm sitting right now, and they have a need in Germany, Russia, and Malaysia that I need satisfied. How am I going to get that done? And that's really, so it has become more sophisticated as firms grow. They start to grow into that a little bit, but at the same time, we have a lot of merger activity that's shrinking the number of firms that are out there.
0: And you mentioned the SG, environmental and social governance firms. Predominantly, we join a network or association for those international business opportunities and referrals, but you do a huge amount of lineal to share market intelligence and insights with your members to make sure they're truly informed to serve their
2: clients. We do, and I do think that that's one of the differentiators. One of the things I learned from 14 years at DICPA is that it's not about looking back at what we've done, it's looking forward at what's coming at all of us. And so the more that I can stay connected and Alineo Global can stay connected to the trends that are hitting us today and, you know, three years out, I don't even know if you can say five years, things uh, change so fast. As an example, you know, I was at a digital CPA conference here in the U.S. in December, and we were meeting with, and I had Jessica Cormier, our learning director there too. And we're meeting with the technology companies, some of which, I hadn't even heard of before that meeting, Uh, and these are early risers that we can say, okay, let's start to kick the tires on these a little bit. Let's get these piloted into other markets. I had a great conversation with one of the technology companies that's U.S. based, but is just ready to start rolling out into other markets. And so I've actually given them firms, our firms in Australia and the U.K., where they can start to pilot. I know these firms are strong client accounting firms. This is a client accounting related product. I think they'd be great to be able to do that. And so that's the type of resource and connectivity we want. We want to be the R&D arm of our firms. We want to be the ones to say, ESG is coming. Here's what you need to know today. Here are firms that can help you if you don't know it, but a client asks and making sure, and I keep telling our firms, I don't ever want to hear that you lost a client because the client felt like they outgrew you. Never should that happen. We have the capabilities. And you talk to managing partners of FEMS, big and small, all over the world.
0: What are they telling you is high on their list of priorities?
2: <laughs> it's still pandemic related. Growth is incredibly possible. It is advantageous currently. However, I get the yeah buts. And so when I start asking the questions about, you know, where are you on growth? How is developing an ESG practice? How is developing a IT assurance practice? Uh, uh, Well, we, we have it, we could grow it, but we don't have the people to staff it. And again, that's a resource limitations. We can figure that out. We have a couple of our member firms in India that provide outsourcing to our other firms. And we're having a ton of conversation around that. Some of the bigger challenges for me are really the countries that English isn't their first language and trying to get them the outsourcing support. I'm digging and and clawing to try and find the right resources to help those additional firms too, especially in uh, German speaking markets. We have a German speaking group that gets together And the problem is that in the eyes of providers, that it's not a big enough critical mass is where they can introduce into some other things, unfortunately. So how do we make that happen? How do we drive conversation into technology vendors uh, so that all of our members can benefit from some of these great technologies? And, you know, so having access in in the non-English speaking countries and then for the for the rest of the world, it is just really trying to keep up with that growth. And how do I get it done?
0: And you've been in the accounting game such a long time now, Mark. You talk to good leaders, great leaders. What do you think separates the good ones from the great?
2: I think it is really about strategic. And it's firms that have separated their an understanding that I don't have a managing partner. I've said for years, partners cannot be managed, right? They don't want to be managed. No. Having a managing partner, it's herding cattle. We need CEOs in these organizations. And so when a firm has decided that they're going to take on more of a corporate model, they're going to have a C-suite, they're going to have a chief executive officer, whose job it is each and every day is to worry only about the firm. Doesn't have client responsibilities, so you reduce that as size happens but they're focused on the growth. They're focused on the new lines of service and they're providing the support about that, holding partners accountable, all of that. That is the true leadership that I think has set it apart. I did a session, I had a panel of two of our member firms, Whitfley and Eisner, two CEOs at Digital CPA. We talked about growth. And so one of the partners, Charlie Weinstein from Eisner said, when we look at things at Eisner, we look at a, a project or a particular item set and we say, can we automate it? If we can't automate all of it, can we automate some of it? If we can't automate some of it, can we outsource it or for them insource it, they have their own indie the operation. If we can't outsource it, can we find the people to do it? Those are, that is the hierarchy. And yet for many other firms, they have that completely flipped. We have to find the people first. And that's an exercise in futility because they don't exist. They And I've said time and again, I said, they're either unicorns or they're terrible. <laughs> language, But in that case, how else are we going to get it done? I'm not going to let that be the excuse of why we can't grow.
0: When you talk about the best leaders are CEOs and not managing partners, you're talking there about accounting firms needing to be more commercially minded, thinking more like business owners operating more like businesses rather than
2: professional firms. That's right. And it's hard. It's a hard shift. Growing up as a CPA, I loved my clients. Accountants love their clients. They'll do anything for their clients, even to the point of 90% of the time giving discounts to their clients (laughs) when they never asked for it. Indeed. Right, And so this pricing model and the fact that I have to watch my pricing and I have to watch my profitability, no one asks for that. They all understand we're a business and we have to act like one. And that's where I think pricing too. Firms won't admit that that's a central issue currently. But as I have more and more conversations and we drill down, pricing is always coming up as an issue. And
0: From your beginnings, you worked for a large accounting firm in Buffalo, New York at the very beginning of your career. How much has the accounting role changed over the years?
2: I think clients are more demanding today. Accessibility for clients is is definitely more 24-7.
0: Expectations have gone
2: through the roof. Expectations have gone way up. I think the firms themselves, as far as the type of work that we do generally, That hasn't changed in 30 years.
0: Well, compliance is compliance. Double entry bookkeeping's not changed, has it? That's right.
2: Audit is 100 years old with no relative change. That's coming, and we're actually actively involved in that. And even this idea of advisory and being the trusted client advisor isn't new. We were talking about this 30 years ago. I went to results accountants, you know, Paul Dunn and Rick Payne back in the day. And everyone said, you know, that those programs, oh, they... They sold us a bill of goods and I said, you know, don't don't shoot the pioneers in the back. Yeah. You know what? They started this they were ahead of their time and we need to be that trusted client advisor and they they really got it started for me in my brain and I it's still here today.
0: What separates the good accountant from the great? We've talked about the leaders, but those on the front end, the cutting edge The practitioners dealing with clients day in, day out. There are some good, some bad, some average. Talk about that.
2: I think it's the listeners. And it's those that are able to understand that they are not there to be compliant. They are there to help their client, whatever that client need is. We talked about client concierge services years ago and saying that I don't want the client to wake up and have any concern on their mind. I want them to pick up the phone and call us first, no matter what it is. And we'll figure out how to get it done. Whether it's buying tickets to the local football match or some other event, who cares? You know what? I want them to call me first. And so it's those that understand that trust level and that they're in a business that's far beyond the compliance that they do makes them a better accountant, makes them a better business person. I used to say to my clients all the time as a trusted advisor, I said, look, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about your business. And I say, I don't know as much as you do about your business. I'm never going to pretend that I do. I said, so I don't have the answers, but what I do have are the questions. And based on asking the right questions together, We're going to figure out what the right answers might be. And that's how we're going to follow up.
0: I get that. A natural curiosity is certainly going to help Trusted Advisor. But we're talking here about accountants that need to move beyond mere technical skills and technical knowledge. So what are some of the skills they need in their toolbox to be Trusted Advisor?
2: It is listening skills. It is having the right set of questions. It is being able to show up not thinking that you need to have all the answers we're answer people we're like you know what i want to be able to look it up in a regulation and be able to provide an answer well, even the regulations today don't have the answers anymore because they've all become so great.
0: but even in you with your network you're a great signpost, and you know pretty much everyone and everything so they need that network they need that knowledge it's not just being able to have the technical skills so they've got to work on themselves haven't
2: they oh, totally totally Thank you for leading me to that point of what the answer should have been five minutes ago for me. <laughs> but yes, uh, you know, I think first and foremost is knowledge of self, right? And so I think leadership development, we're currently working on our leadership programs and kind of revamping them a bit. But at the core of that always is knowledge of self. And you that's all we can control is ourselves. We can't control other people. But if we can improve upon that work on our listening skills, work on our advisory skills. There's a great shout out to, to MindShop is a great advisory support tool that we offer to our member firms. We have a partnership with them. We incorporate that into our client accounting suite of, of what they should be offering to move from just doing the compliance bookkeeping and moving up into that trusted advisor and giving them the tools and skills to be able to do that.
0: Do you see any difference between the American accountants, the UK accountants, the Australian accountants? Are
2: they all a similar breed? They're incredibly similar. It's funny as you look at things, the Australians to me, and this is, I've known this for years. The Australians are the front runners, right? They are the cliff jumpers. They're the (laughs) ones that they're just going to be right out there in front If There's something new to try. Cool. Let's go do it. And I think both the UK and and the U S we are all fast followers. So, you know, the first question we ask here in the, in the U S is, well, who else has done it before we're willing to take that leap? Right. And so, you know, I think that that's a lot of it. But the, the 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 type of practice, the opportunities in practice, they're all the same. Technologies are generally available in all of the again English speaking countries. It's in the uh, the non English speaking countries that I worry about trying to get those technologies, and we're working on some things for that. But I'd say that's be one of the big differences. So
0: that's the accountants themselves. What about the professional institutes, the governing bodies of those different parts of the world?
2: You know, and I used to, in my role at AICPA, I'd occasionally meet up with the Global Accounting Alliance, which uh, AICPA was a member of, along with ICAEW and uh, the Australian New Zealand uh, CA Association, and a number of others. And it was basically the eleven largest countries got met together. The issues were generally the same. Regulatory, we'd all talk about the same things. The associations themselves, you know, one of the pieces that I've always appreciated about the AICPA, and I can't speak to how deep the other associations go, but at AICPA, really trying to help the member firm mine through these these business opportunities around, you know, funding support that the government was offering during the pandemic but also the technologies and bringing the technology world into the CPA world to make sure that we were connected and they were doing the right thing. 12 years ago, uh, AICPA through CPA.com had the first ever uh, executive round table of the C-suite of the technology providers. At the time, I think there were about 30 uh, technology companies that met up. Now it's close to 60. They're all fighting to get into this meeting. And 12 years ago, we were, we were shouting from the mountaintop that they all needed to work with each other to open up their APIs so that their technologies were talking to each other because that was a massive problem for many of our firms that they couldn't, they'd have to import, export, import, export, import, export, and they weren't connected. And now they're connected. And that conversation started 12 years ago. That's the type of thing we want to see globally as well.
0: Is there any bad advice or bad doctrine you see in being dispensed in the
2: accounting world? Anything you vehemently disagree with? Without uh, trying to tick somebody off? Probably not. (laughs) You know, I, I did mention I am hugely passionate about pricing. I don't think we have the pricing quite right. I think firms spend way too much time worried about efficiencies when they should be worried about effectiveness effectiveness trumps efficiency every time. And I really think that if we tried to be more effective, we'd be higher valued with our client. And so any of these tools and offerings around, we will make you more efficient, isn't necessarily going to make you more profitable. It's a quick stopgap. It's a minor instance of profitability, but then all of a sudden, every partner out there, once they become more efficient, decide to drop their pricing to their client, and then we become less profitable. And I I lived that through audit efficiency 25 years ago. And I heard the conversations with our partners who gave the yeah buts on audit efficiency then to say, Well, you know, they're paying 20,000 now. Yeah, but we went through audit efficiency. We could do it for 18. No, that's not not what it's about. You know, you're supposed to, those efficiencies are supposed to stay within the firm. And this is the problem with focusing only on efficiency. Be more effective, be more valuable to the client. Let's get
0: you back on another show to talk about pricing and business models in accounting firms. Uh, For the moment, You've been very successful in your career. You show no signs of letting up. Is there a personal philosophy for success that's guided you throughout that time?
2: You know, what's interesting, and this is maybe, I I think it's a US thing, in the UK and Australia, the, the CAs and CPAs in those markets were coming from a noble profession, right? And there was this idea of nobility through it. CPAs in the US, so many of the partners we had all came from blue collar backgrounds that, or many of them, I should say. So for me, it was coming from a blue collar background that it is the drive and sense of, I know what blue collar looks like and I never wanna go back. So I drive every day. In fact, when you talk about personal development, it is a personal flaw of mine. And I talk with my wife and my son about it constantly this constant drive it is i don't drive for success i drive so i don't have to go back i've i can see what the rear view mirror shows me and my eyes are on the road going forward because i know what the rear view looks like and so that's been the the, the key driver and it's to a fault at times because i don't always know when to shut it off and i think a lot of people it have the same issue, but I communicate about it. I try and tell my family the why and we talk about it and I try and take a step back or two at times. Uh, And I think it's understanding the importance of that. It's not balance, it's integration of the work life. And I think understanding that and communicating that on both sides becomes really important.
0: I always knew you were an inveterate learner and clearly you've got that passion for new knowledge and new skills. Is there anything you've changed your mind on?
2: I don't know if it's any one large thing, but I think the importance of the little things are, especially, and I'm learning this inside of a lineal where, you know, again, I'm fairly new in the position. So people are trying to learn me at this time. And the old me would have been, well, I'm just going to provide the answer, just go get it done. But the, you know, in this environment, because I don't have that trust level with the team or, you know, in the old days, my team would come to me not with just the problem, but a problem and the potential solution. And then they would just kind of wasn't for me to make a decision; it was their decision for me to support. And pulling back from that a little bit because you know we all get busy and we just say, "Okay, yeah, just go do this." But understanding that and getting the team to take ownership in things. You know, I'm back to that again. I kind of forgotten that over the last couple of years and need to refocus on that again.
0: If accounting firms are listening and want to talk to Alinea and want to be part of that, what questions would they be asking themselves that would say, yeah, I need to pick up the phone to Mark. I need to have a chat to lineal and see what they can offer.
2: What am I not getting that I should be worried about? Uh, you know, what are the technologies I should be looking at? What are the service lines that we have? How can you support my current clients? How can I interact with the other member firms to be able to help my firm grow? Uh, all of those things, I think, become critical in the in the whys of joining a, a network. They're brilliant. We'll put your contact details
0: on the show notes, Mark. Uh, let's finish by asking you what excites you most about the next 12 months, whether it's in the professional or your role.
2: Well, first and foremost, it is the Buffalo Bills are absolutely going to the Super Bowl (laughs) next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough loss this year for anybody who watches U.S. football. Yeah. Um, But I think more so, you know what, we've had some really high growth in the last 12 months. It is integrating all the new firms. We've added over a half a billion dollars of new firm revenue this year. On top of the growth of our firm, seeing, you know, I'm seeing some numbers, 15, 20 percent. It's been amazing. So it's integrating that, it is meeting with our commerce consortium, our technology consortium of how we're gonna get all of these other things into the hands of everyone. And it's bringing all the live meetings back. We had a couple of successes last year. We are gonna be back to global hybrid meetings. So we will have live with a a version of virtual. And by the way, virtual is important too. People can't forget the fact that there are some folks who absolutely cannot travel. Having a hybrid meeting with a virtual component is not a convenience thing. It is a diversity and inclusion thing. It is being more inclusive as an organization. And we are very focused on diversity and inclusion. We will continue that. It's very expensive to offer both. We don't care. We're going to continue to do it. Amen to that.
0: And leave us, Mark, with some words of wisdom or call to arms, if you like, to the accounting practitioner listeners here. What would you say to them to send them on their way and help them level up?
2: Buckle up. (laughs) It's going to be a ride and it's going to be a great ride. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now, being a professional inside of this, the opportunities are endless. And I say, all of us together, let's go out and get them because we support the business community, the small business community, like no one else can. So let's continue on that journey and let's all grow together.
0: Wow, spectacular. Matt Cozier, CEO of Alineal Global. That's been great. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights today. Shout out to one of our newest commercial partners, it's Practice Ignition. How would you explain what
1: those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. How global are these guys? There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, And it does so to automate time-consuming tasks, allowing the practitioner to run their practice on autopilot and automate time-consuming tasks, such as client onboarding or invoicing. 91% of their customers spend less time creating proposals and chasing signatures and payments.
0: 87% were able to cancel other software subscriptions. And 80% have fewer or no unpaid invoices at any given time. That's amazing.
1: So, if you're in the US, we'd say, say hello to zero accounts receivable. If you're in the UK, we'd say, impressions that last, payments made fast. And if you're in Australia, we'd say first impressions that win new business every time. For the entire world, the bottom line is that you can get to use PI right now. We've got a special offer from our
0: PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. Info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influences.